The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. We have, uh, we have been in a sermon series called Christ and Crisis. And what we've like, experienced in hearing the stories of members of our con- congregation about crisis in their life and about what faith looks like, it has been fruitful. It has been meaningful to so many of us that one, we're not alone in our crisis, that there are people around us that share the same kinds of struggles and crisis, and that as people of faith, we're not alone and that Christ is with us. So it's been a fruitful conversation, but we also wanna recognize It has been a heavy sermon series. We know that. And while the church has historically not been good at all in talking about some of these things, we wanted to say we want to be a place that is able to talk about these things. We're not always going to do it well. We're not always going to do it right. But we know what it produces when we don't talk about these things. But we also realize that in talking about uh, some crisis, that it, it opens up wounds for people, that it triggers personal trauma. And we're very, very aware of that. Um, we have resources for professional and pastoral counseling. Today, there'll be people out in the lobby and in the green room to pray and listen. And for visitors who are here today, many of the members received an email giving a heads up about uh, what we're going to talk about today. For those of you that are visiting, you are most welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, And we want you, we want you to know, we want you to feel comfortable. But we also want to get you, give you a heads up that if you're visiting, you might not have known this, that we're having a family conversation today. I'm going to introduce Rachel Richardson here in a minute, but she's been a member here for 18 years. And in a a sense, you're more than welcome to this conversation. We think it's really important. But we also know that if you're a visitor, uh, that that what's going to be talked about a bit today is sensitive. And it's not just sensitive for visitors. It's sensitive for everyone. Um, Today, while this is not, the whole of the story, part of the story today is about sexual abuse. Part of the day's, today's story is about sexual abuse. So I want to give permission for several things for all of you. One, there is a children's worship uh, that we don't usually provide each Sunday, but this Sunday we wanted to have a place for children to go. Okay? And two, we realize Not everyone's story is the same. Not every story turns out the same way. And not everyone hears stories equally. This can be a difficult conversation. And you have complete permission to get up and walk out if you need to. And for those that decided not to come today, uh, that weren't ready for this conversation, There is no shame in that. 
Some are more ready to have the conversation than others. If you need someone to talk to, there'll be people in the lobby and back in the prayer room. But just know this, you absolutely do not have to remain in this room. Okay? But for those that do, this is an important conversation that we don't want to end just today. But that the the church has neglected uh, to talk about enough. And so we want to have that conversation today. So everyone is welcome. And also you you have full permission to do what you need to do today. Fair enough? Okay. Rachel Richardson has been a member of this congregation for 18 years. She, uh, most of us, uh, who've been here a long time, know Rachel and love Rachel. She has two daughters, Z and, and Lexi. Uh, Rachel professionally was a teacher, but if you know uh, Z and Alexi and about the, uh, the struggles and the challenges they face, um, they need a lots of medical attention. And so uh, Rachel, a few years ago, decided and it was encouraged by some of the medical providers. Uh, she was teaching full-time and trying to care for um, two children that totally depended on her for their life. And so she decided to go back to school and to become a licensed, um, uh, a licensed nurse, right? A nurse, um, a practicing nursing. And now she spends her time not only being a mom, but is caring for the needs of her children. And so uh, we want to talk, we want to invite Rachel up, and I want to pray over her, uh, and to talk about her journey. It's a very, all of us have unique stories, but it's a unique story, and we wanted, I asked her to share that today. So can we pray together? All right. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. You are, and we trust that you are present today. And that you are powerful and sovereign. And you're compassionate. And that you're vulnerable. And that you know us in our lives completely. I pray for Rachel that you give her courage, that you fill her with your spirit, that you give her peace, and that we have ears to hear and hearts to respond, and that your will be done in this place, in the hearing of your word through Rachel. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, Rachel, you've had a long and interesting, to say the least, journey. So uh, I want to just begin by um, asking if you'll give us kind of the backstory about the events that have that have that started your journey and the story that uh, you have to tell okay. to God's people. Um, well, I have a perfect life, and I don't have any crisis, and I have no issues. <laughs> At least that's the image that I have spent my entire life trying to portray. 
Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I was the youngest of three. Um, it was a really good Christian home. We had our issues. We had lots of issues, but it was stable. Um, I was loved. I was cared for, but it was different, and I figured out pretty early that something was different about me. Um, I don't know exactly when I made the connection, um, but at some point I realized that I had very severe learning disabilities. Um, everything that my brothers did and did well and did quickly because they're like genius level IQ type people and it was really annoying. Um, I struggled with and I struggled with everything, reading, writing. I had a pretty severe speech impediment. Um, I didn't learn to tie my shoes until I was old, and so I started very young feeling like I was less than. I wasn't as good as everybody else. I wasn't, I wasn't as important as everybody else. And so I started four or five years old starting to compensate and trying to, trying to earn love and respect. Um, childhood continued. When I was somewhere in my preteens or early teen years, I was molested in a single event by a young man in our church. He was only a few years older than me, but our maturity levels were very different. I didn't totally understand, but I did know I didn't like it, and I told my parents almost immediately. After a lot of discussion, my parents decided that the best solution was to do nothing. I was in denial. He was from a good Christian family. So we continued with life as if it didn't happen, with one exception. I was encouraged to stay away from him and make sure we were never alone. We were in a very small church, about 30 members. So staying away was difficult and often meant missing out on the youth group activities. This perpetuated my belief that I wasn't good enough and I was responsible for my own safety and that I needed to keep walls up and people away. It caused me to question my value even more. I knew from the time I was little that God loved me. But I didn't think he liked me. And I had the mindset that, yeah, he loved me, but that's because he made me and he was stuck with me. It wasn't that he really genuinely loved me or liked me. I, he tolerated me. Um, and that was kind of the mindset that I continued growing up with most of my life. So talk about um, you, I remember you telling me that, that you ended up working really, really hard to overcome your learning disabilities and to, you said, if I could be perfect, right, then people might appreciate and love me. Yes. Um, talk about, you go into college, right, and into your adult years. Talk about what life was like moving forward into your adult years. Well, I absolutely threw myself into education um, and working. I later found out, they didn't tell me at the time, I later found out my parents didn't think I was capable of achieving at college. Um, they let me try it, but they weren't going to be surprised if I ended up having to drop out because my learning disabilities were that significant. Um, a 98 was not good enough. <laughs> it had to be at least 100%, and the bonus questions had to be right. Um, and I absolutely threw myself into getting into college, um, achieving an high enough to get academic scholarships, 
Um, I took the ACT and the SAT each three times a piece um, in order to get my score high enough so that I could get into college and get the academic scholarships. Uh, I had to pay my own way through college for what wasn't covered. And so my freshman year, I, I, I was a nerd. Um, I didn't do anything but study, pretty much. Um, I was determined that I was going to not only show I was as smart as my brothers, but that I could achieve better than my brothers. Um, and so freshman year, I earned a 4.0. Um, I was working part-time. Yeah, I was doing great. Um, and I was determined to do enough to show love and acceptance, or gain love and acceptance. Um, so sophomore year, I had it set up perfect. Um, I was going to be a resident assistant. I was going to be a children's ministry intern here at Quail Springs. I had a couple other babysitting jobs lined up. I was in honors. I mean, it was, I was going to prove my value my sophomore year. Um, we made it into about the second month um, of my sophomore year, and I was sexually assaulted on campus. While the event itself was traumatic and caused me to face PTSD, panic attacks, flashbacks, and other related issues, the longer lasting damage was in how it was handled. I was re-traumatized multiple times by poor handling by the school administration and very, very damaging messages of dismissal, blame, and shame. Rumors were also started on campus and I faced related bullying by peers all the way into my final semester. Well-meaning friends and Christians recited the platitudes of Christianity instead of walking with me through the hurt. Despite the trauma, there were people who helped me through those times, professors who allowed me to sit in their office during panic attacks, church members who allowed me to spend time in their home doing homework so I could have a break from the flashbacks. The trauma was ongoing, but I had to function, so I resorted to what I knew best. I poured myself into ministry, work, and school. This again confirmed the messages from childhood. I questioned my value. I questioned if God truly loved me. I felt worthless and the need to once again protect myself. I felt that I was somehow to blame so I would keep people at a distance and work for God's love. I felt like I had to work even harder for God to like me and people to like me. So I continued in that mindset for, for months, uh, years, until I was about, about three years into my teaching career. I was working multiple jobs. I would stay at school until five or six o'clock at night. I was doing free tutoring. I was doing paid tutoring. I was babysitting two or three kids on the side. I was involved in children's ministry here. I was directing the special needs ministry and I stayed so busy that I didn't have to deal with life and it was wonderful. Um, and then I was invited to go to West Africa, Ghana, West Africa, to teach teachers how to work with kids who had disabilities. It fit right in line with the trying to earn love, and so I jumped on it. And it was an amazing trip, and I came home with malaria. And I was extremely ill, um, extremely ill. I ended up being put on short-term disability. I was going to doctor after doctor, and they didn't believe me. They thought I was lying. They told me I was lazy. They told me I was uh, making it up so I could stay on disability. Um, and when all of that happened, my world crashed because suddenly I couldn't run anymore, and I had absolutely no value because I couldn't work, I couldn't teach, 
I couldn't even take care of myself. So what did faith look like at this point? You've talked a lot about uh, dealing with um, dealing with life and dealing with um, self-worth, dealing with the abuse, trying to navigate. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about what faith looks like or what it looked like in your life. So basically at that point, um, I was barely hanging on. Uh, and really it was more a matter of I'd always been raised in the church, so that's what you did. Um, mustard seed faith was very, very realistic at this point. Um, I was angry. I was beyond angry. Um, it, like, there's not an, a church-appropriate word to express how angry I was at God and at life, and at Christians, for that matter, because they had been the ones who had harmed me. Um, I was kind of done, and I... Uh, <laughs> I sent an email to Monty and Monima, and I don't remember what it said, but I know it wasn't nice. Um, and I basically said, listen, I'm done with Christians, I'm done with God, I'm done with you, but I don't want to go to hell, so help me. Um, they didn't email back. I got a call within a few minutes. <laughs> um, and I was told, they said, uh, I think we need to talk. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think you're probably right. So it, it was just, I was barely hanging on. Um, how did, you talked about this experience with Monty and Monima. And uh, when you shared with me, this was the beginning of, um, the beginning of a process that's mm -hmm. still happening, right? About healing. Can you talk about the ways um, the ways you've found some answers, uh, not answers to those questions, but the way you've journeyed and found some healing in your life, beginning with that, those conversations with Monty and Monima. Well, the healing actually started before them. Monty and Monima were just the first people I actually was willing to listen to. <clears throat> um, you know, as I look over our church family, I see people that I had long, lengthy conversations with that they got my attitude and they got the anger um, and they loved me through it and that, that was huge. Um, but with Monty and Monima, honestly, I don't remember most of our conversations. I'm sure they instilled great wisdom in me, but I don't remember. What I do remember is that they sat on the couch with me and they held me and we cried and they cried and they listened and somehow, slowly, through that, through Celebrate Recovery and a step study, through uh, lots of hard work, through good therapy, um, I started to slowly heal. I started to slowly let people in. Um, and somehow, the anger started to fade away a little bit. It's still there, but it's not all-consuming anymore. Yeah. It's important, I remember you telling me what struck me, and I think this is really important to hear, that still in your journey while you found some healing, mm -hmm. uh, um, with the nuance that at the same time, um, you still have those same mm -hmm. uh, value, um, wondering if there's anybody to protect me except for myself, mm -hmm. 
Could you talk about that for a second? Um, you know, it is, some days I do great and some days I don't. Um, it's a continuing struggle. I continue to have flashbacks occasionally. Um, I continue to obsessively work. Um, I still have lots of walls built up and I keep people at a distance because that's what's safe. Um, I didn't have the protection as a kid. And so now I feel the need to, to keep those walls up and to keep myself protected. Um, so I would love to say that I'm completely healed. It's great. I don't deal with it anymore, you know, but I do. But the beautiful part about it is that God's big enough to deal with my hurt. He's big enough to deal with the days when I am just absolutely furious. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand why things in my life has happened. I don't understand why I'm talking to my 15-year-old about end-of-life care and what, what she wants um, and talking about planning her her memory. I don't understand why things happen, but I do know that I have a God that's standing with me. And even when I don't trust him, even when I don't fully believe it, I know that he's there. You mentioned your children. Yes. <laughs> they are central to your life. Could you talk about the ways that they're central to your life and um, some of the things you've shared with me about how the way God has been working since they arrived in your life? So, Alexis and Z. Um, Alexis has absolutely 100% changed my perspective on God. Um, she came to me right at the end of the conversations with Monty and Monima, right as I was starting to accept God's love. Um, and it, it took a few years, but finally it kind of hit me one day when I was caring for her. My sweet girl, she, her personality is so just amazing, but she can do absolutely nothing for herself. She can't hold her head up. Um, she requires a feeding tube. She is fully 100% dependent on me to live. There's, like, I, I use a machine to help her cough. Like, literally, she is more dependent on me than an infant would be on their mother. And kind of in parenting, and I've, I've seen it with Z, we have a, a little bit of a reciprocal expectation. Um, with Z, I, I've always looked forward to the day she says I love you, the day she gives me a hug, the day she paints me a picture. Lexi's not going to give me any of that. Lexi's not ever going to do any of those things. And yet I love her. And I love her more than, more than life itself. And I realized that my attempts at earning God's love were the equivalent of what Lexi can do for herself. And I don't love her any less. In fact, Honestly, her neediness and her fully dependent and her trust in me is part of what makes her so special to me. And I realize that that's what God wants from us. He, he, I am Lexi, and he adores me. And it doesn't matter what I can do. A mission trip to Africa is nothing 
because I'm his. And he chose me. He didn't just get stuck with me. He chose me. And life, life with them is, in, in other words, you're saying that um, in some ways that relationship, if I could mm -hmm. say this, has been saving for you. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Um, but it's still challenging as well, isn't it? It is very challenging. Um, Zamaria, she's challenging just because she's Zamaria. Um, <laughs> her little exuberant personality and her stubbornness and she's she's giggling back there. Oh, I'm at you. sure she, she liked is. that. I think she liked that. <laughs> um, she she's a hoot. I love her. She has brought so much joy to our family. Um, but the reality is, with both of my girls and how fragile they are, there are mornings I wake up and I'm not sure they're going to be there. Um, we have had multiple discussions with Alexis and with Alexis's doctors about how far is too far, about what we will do. Um, I, I try to kind of hide some of the nastiness because I don't want people to be afraid. Um, and because it, if I acknowledged how hard it is sometimes, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, but like Thursday, Alexis seized for three hours back-to-back -back seizures for three hours um, and that's not that unusual we gave two rescue meds she continued to seize um, it, it's hard like day in and day out it's exhausting and I struggle with God on that too like why would these innocent babies have to deal with so much but then I see the lives that they touch and I don't understand it but I can trust that God loves us yeah what would you say to to your brothers and sisters in Christ about um, what kind of encouragement would you give them or, or advice would you give them and people that have faced the kind of crisis that you have faced? So for the people who have faced a similar crisis, I would say it's not your fault. No matter what anybody says, it's not your fault. Um, your little bit of faith, your little corner of your heart is enough. Just hang on. There is hope. There is, there is a way. And it is okay to be mad. It is okay to fight. It's okay to thrash and throw a temper tantrum because God's still there. Um, for those of you who are walking with somebody in crisis, just be there. Um, like I said, I don't remember what Monty and Monima said to me. I, I remember one conversation where they cautioned me about something, and I took it to heart. But we spent hours together, and that's, that's all I remember is that they were there, and they held me, and that we cried. And I can say the same thing for a lot of the faces that I'm looking at right now, and that, that's what mattered. It wasn't the people who tried to call and make it all better. Mm -hmm. It was the people who were just there. Rachel, I thank you for sharing and being vulnerable. And I want to take some time um, to, to pray to pray over Rachel. Uh, we haven't done this. Mm, this is risky. Uh, but I want to invite all those that feel moved uh, to gather around Rachel. And that I, we want to pray around her. If, 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 you, if you can't, please stay where you're seated. But if you can, let's surround her and let's, let's pray over her, if you don't mind us doing that. Right? If you want to stand right here.
I'm going to ask Monty Stevens, one of our shepherds, to lead us. Pray over Rachel. Father in heaven, blessed is your name, dear God. We thank you so much for all those brothers and sisters who have been able to share their stories with us. Dear God, I just told Rachel that I'm so proud of her. So proud of her. Dear God, she has every right to have given up hope, given up on life, given up on her kids, given up on us. But she didn't. Praise God. Dear God, bless her. Bless Alexis and Samaria. They don't know how much of a blessing they are to us. And for her example, and for her faith and endurance and love for us all, what a lesson, dear God. What a sermon we've heard today. Thank you so much. Bless them. Bless them. We are so proud of them. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Rachel told me last week, she shared with me that, um, I don't even know how many years ago it was when she shared with Monty and Monima, but that Monty and Monima said, one day you're going to share this story. This is the first time I think she shared this story. Thank you for having ears that will hear. Thank you for having compassion. Thank you for walking with people every one of us while they might not come with the same story comes with some crisis and brokenness we're all in a terrible storm at times and we owe each other great loyalty we won't do it right always trust us we have stories about that but it's okay we have a gracious God who's forming us into his image to walk with those who are in pain because he experienced our pain. And so we, by the power of the Spirit, have that ability and that empowerment to do that as well. And what I want to say to you today is that no matter how broken you feel or how broken you are, God loves you. And if you don't feel it, God still loves you. And if you can't do anything that you think is right or good or get yourself out of whatever it is that your brokenness is, like Alexis. Rachel, that was beautiful. There are things you'll never experience from her hug or I love you 
but you love her as God loves you. And that is the way that God loves us in all of our brokenness, in everything, the good and all the bad, in everything of what it means to be a human being. God loves you. Let's stand and sing together.